Hello everyone, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Today's guest is Felicity Elliott. She's the chief editor of Share International Magazine based in Amsterdam. Now, in the Timeless Voyager podcast, episode number 267, which was in October of 2022, Felicity had explained that Maitreya, the world teacher expected by all the major religions, has their awaited one. The Christ to the Christians, the Iman Mahdi to the Muslims, the Messiah for the Jews, and the fifth Buddha for Buddhists. The Second Coming, prophesied by many religions. The so-called awaited one would come in the form of Maitreya, the world teacher. Today, we'll continue our discussion regarding who Maitreya, the world teacher, is and why he is here now. We'll talk about how people will experience him and what Maitreya's concerns are. What will he talk about? How will we recognize him? We will also discover what the Earth's place in the solar system is and talk about our space brothers and their presence for humanity. We'll talk about UFOs and their ability to appear and disappear instantaneously along with their obvious possession of incredible power over the natural laws of our universe. And finally, the struggle in the U.S. for those who are forward-looking and have a sense of the coming new civilization. So fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, the Timeless Voyager. Welcome to Timeless Voyager, Felicity Elliott. Thank you very much. Nice to be here again. I was astonished to hear that you said it was October 2022 that we last spoke. I felt the same way when I saw that. I thought I thought you were on long before that but yeah time you know what happens to time (laughs) and here we are the timeless voyager right so i thought we could pick up a little bit with um talking about maitreya who maitreya is and so on and so forth just to kind of blend this and then we're going to go on to some of these newer topics so why don't you go ahead and explain a little bit about maitreya and perhaps Benjamin Krem, who was the one who started, I believe, started this entire dialogue. That's right, yeah. Um, I'll start with Maitreya, and then I'll come back to Benjamin Krem. Um, so Maitreya, as as you introduced the idea, is the awaited one, the uh, new world teacher. Now, um, if I can ask your listeners to think about, your audience to think about every amazing saint that they've ever heard about, known, every genius that they've ever read about or known, the most extraordinary people from the whole of humanity's history. If we can think of all that, put it into one person and then expand that a thousand times or more and give that person such wisdom, such love, such a penetrating compassion and sense of uh, oneness with humanity, 
I'll come back to how I'm about to say where this is, but uh, where this comes from, what I'm about to say. But he gave certain messages through Benjamin Krem um, in a period when Benjamin Krem was working in London. He overshadowed Benjamin Krem and gave a certain number of messages, 140. And in one of the messages, he says, I'm paraphrasing, nothing that you feel uh, is it passes me by. I sense everything. I feel with you. I feel every tremor of your heart. I feel your aspiration. I feel your longing. I sense your longing for a new world. He is the embodiment of that energy, because we're talking about energy after all. Right. He is the embodiment of that energy which we call love. And that is the energy which binds, as it were, binds cosmos together in a way. It holds everything together. Uh, we can talk about it as um, uh, light or love or wisdom and so on. All of these are actually what he embodies. He embodies this great energy. And that is what people will experience gradually as he makes himself known. And every time you see him on your television, because he's a normal man, an ordinary man, like one of us, only totally extraordinary, totally astonishing in his beauty and majesty. And um, every, I remember Benjamin Krem talking about another one of the masters, the master Jesus. And he said, in every atom of his being, beautiful and perfect. And that is also what can be said of Maitreya, the world teacher. But he's an ordinary man like us. And he has the interests of humanity, not only at heart, but that is his mission. His mission is here to serve us, to help us, to guide us, to point us out of the many crises facing us at the moment. Let me ask and, you, let me ask yes. you a question. Uh, and, and I think I'm going to ask it not necessarily because of my interest in it, but I think sometimes the interest of the listeners and people who are watching the show, what is Maitreya to Jesus the Christ? Because right now, I think most people who think of Jesus as the Savior and so going through the liturgy that they're used to, mm. this sounds very suspicious. Yes, oh, I can imagine, absolutely, and it's a brilliant question. Now, the interesting thing is that Maitreya and the Master Jesus, the Master Jesus was a disciple in Palestine. And up till a certain point, in fact, uh, three years before his death, he was simply the master, Je well, Jesus, the disciple, the Messiah, who came and brought certain teachings. Actually, he, he brought teachings which would indicate to humanity that there's another way forward. He brought the idea of, for example, compassionate love, uh, do unto others, the golden rule, um, treat others as you would have them treat you, and so on. As you sow, so shall you reap. Great esoteric laws, but he put them very simply for the people of his time. Now, that was Jesus, and we know him from the Bible and the biblical stories of, of his life. However, at a some, some point, and he was born a very evolved person, and his family was evolved, both Mary and Joseph, by the way, no um, immaculate conception, simply born as a normal human being, but they too were very evolved. Very evolved, when I say that, I mean with a broad consciousness, with a sense of themselves as being spiritual beings in incarnation, as we all are, but they knew that their son, Jesus, had a particular mission. And now, they were, they were Asteans. 
They were Essenes, is that correct? They were Essenes, yes, and belonged to a particular way of being and followed a particular teaching and so on, and had quite a, um, a simple but... Um, a simple but adequate way of living and they for example lived very simply i think they eschewed meat use of meat and so on anyway jesus the disciple uh, knew of his uh, his mission and his eventual uh, fate and um you see he was at a particular point of evolution um a point of consciousness and in the east that that point of consciousness is is called the Great Renunciation. Now, we in the, in the West, through Christianity and so on, have come to know it as the crucifixion. Um, but what it means is there is a life for the disciple at that particular point, a life of renunciation, of giving up everything, because there's a particular um, amazing uh, event taking place inwardly, what we would call an initiation in, in, in certain terminology. But to get back to your question about their relationship, the relationship of Maitreya, the world teacher, whom we also refer to as the Christ, and the Master Jesus. So the Master Jesus went through his life as Jesus. He was crucified and his body was resurrected by Maitreya. Uh, everyone will probably have heard or many will have heard of the Turin Shroud, which is in the cathedral in Turin and kept it was, in fact, indeed, the, um, let's say, the burial sheet that Jesus was wrapped in. And the imprint of Jesus' features and body uh, is left on that shroud. And that was done by when Maitreya uh, entered the body again, the lifeless body of Jesus. There was an enormous burst of energy, and that is imprinted as a negative onto the shroud. And this is one of the proofs that many people who read of these sort of things and follow these sort of things um, turn to and say, this is proof that Jesus was a historical figure and that there's a relationship between Jesus and Maitreya the Christ. Now, at some point, people began to have a, a conversation about, well, is he Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he Jesus Christ? Well, he became, as it were, Christed from a certain period onwards, the last three years of his life, when Maitreya worked through him. Now, this is not unique. Gautama, Prince Gautama. Oh, you know what? It, uh, yes. it, it, it's unique to, to, uh, to most people who are listening right now, though. So Yes, it sure is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that. But it's not unique in the history of, of the world. Let me put it that way. Okay. Um, Prince Gautama, who was also a, 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 an evolved person who had a, a, a a great uh, spiritual yearning, and, and um, he was aspiring, and he had developed to a particular point of evolution. He, too, was pure enough as a vehicle, as a person, to be overshadowed by that entity we know as the Buddha. And he overshadowed and worked through the Buddha in the same way as Maitreya overshadowed and worked through the, the vehicle of the Master Jesus. Nowadays, the Master Jesus and Maitreya, and for many centuries, I'm sure, have, they work together constantly. Um, the, the Master Jesus, according to Benjamin Krem and according to the Ageless Wisdom teaching, is actually also in a physical body. He became a master in his next life as Apollonius of Tyana. 
And there are many stories about Jesus appearing in the Americas, appearing to Native Americans, um, appearing in the, um, the in South America to Mayan cultures and so on. And these are based on factual information because he did, Jesus that is, did visit those civilizations after he had become a master in his next life and he has then in a resurrected body as all the masters are they're in let's say a timeless body all of them and he then uh, appeared to the people in america and in the in south america and so on um he is a person in a, a physical body and actually i have right next to me something i'd like to show you because i'd like to talk about the masters in terms of not only history but right now Mm -hmm. They're modern men. They're modern people involved in our everyday crises, and they're standing by to help us. The minute people turn to them and ask for help, they get help. Now, I'd like to give you, I hope you'll be able to see this. This is um, a photograph which I have, which was sent to, to the magazine many years ago. It is of the Master Jesus who was not visible at the time, and yet he was he was seen on this photograph later. He's helping a young surgeon who is doing one of his final ex uh, surgery exams or his first major uh, surgery operation. And you will see the Master Jesus standing next to the surgeon with his hand on the surgeon's shoulder, one hand, and the other one is guiding the instruments. On the one side of the photograph, you will see the, the nurse's cap. I wonder if your visitors, your listeners and viewers can see this. Am I holding it sufficiently closely? And Well, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. Uh, you, you need to send me a JPEG or a PNG of this. Mm -hmm. And I will have it when I do the post-production. I'll post that picture nice and clear right above yeah. what we're talking about. Right. And okay. you'll be able to see his hand on the shoulders of the, the surgeon. Now, why I'm showing that is because I think it's a brilliant example of exactly how involved they are in our everyday lives. So I don't mean to say I have a master sitting on my shoulder and you have and, <laughs> and everything's fine, not at all. But um, they are involved in and aware of everything that's happening on our planet and what we're doing to the planet in terms of the environmental disasters we're creating. They're aware of the struggles of humanity to get to the next stage in our own evolution of consciousness, um, because that's the point we're at. And I think mm, I'm sure that every one of your listeners and, and, and audience will know and feel, sense in themselves that we are at a, a point um, of, let's say, a real crisis where we have to make a decision. And I think Every one of us should feel called to make certain decisions. Now, Maitreya, in the, Maitreya isn't someone sort of, now I think a, a nice term you use in the States a lot is woo-woo, isn't it? Sort of wafty, floaty, mystical, woo-woo, um, all nice right. and lovely and, and, and so on. Um, not at all. Maitreya's main concerns and he will be working through and in this field so this is how people should look for him if they're at all interested in the story and we present it simply as information by the way this is not a religion it's not a cult it's simply we have this information and whether people respond to it or not is entirely up to them but what they should look for 
even if it's just as a hypothesis and they want to test this out, they should look for uh, someone with great wisdom, great insight, practical wisdom, who has solutions to our current problems, particularly in the political and economic field, because humanity is in crisis. And where you see that crisis in, in, in spades, as it were, where you see it most clearly is in the breakdown of our political systems, in the, the um, extraordinary uh, imbalance in our economic system, so that you have billionaires, trillionaires, people making money uh, during, for example, the pandemic, when other people were losing money, losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods. So you'll see Maitreya and the masters all concerned with everyday problems. They're modern people. I mean, if, if, if we were the Christ, if you were the, the world teacher, what would, what would your concerns be? They would be for, and I'm sure most of your, your audience would say, well, I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about how to feed my children. I'm concerned about the planet. What's happening to... Uh, it's very, very pragmatic information, and 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 what what the what religion seems to be doing is constantly putting uh, these people or these gods or whatever they want to call them into this position where they seem to be uh, unavailable, as it were, to people to help them, and and uh, it's not really the way you're describing it. If I might have that yeah. interjection. Yes, no, that's that's absolutely right. Um, you, they are so concerned. The masters are so concerned. They're here. Look, there's one thing that's um, a well-known saying in in um, sort of esoteric or ancient literature and so on. They say there's a saying that um, when the pupil is ready, the master will come. Now that might sound mystical, but take it to our our times. Take it to where how we're living at the moment, and you can see that humanity. On the one hand, is make you know we're in crisis, and I think that it's very clear that our leaders don't know what to do. They have no don't don't have the answers, and at the same time, people are becoming really concerned about how to get through the year, how to um, deal with the breakdown of our climate and so on. And at the moment, for example, in the states, people are suffering enormously because of the disturbed weather conditions. Now, we might come back to that and ask, why is that? But the masters are aware of these, these issues, and they have the advice and the wisdom to be able to guide us out of them. And Maitreya, uh, his main and very simple message to start with is share the world's resources, hence our name, Share International. Um, share the world's resources. Now, what is meant by that? What he means is he doesn't mean, well, share your garden equipment or, or share your car and so on. Fine if you want to. No problem with that. Um, in fact, do. And many people are doing that sort of thing because it all helps, particularly for the climate. Um, but what he means is an equitable redistribution of the world's resources. And that means including technology, know-how, et cetera, et cetera. But it also means in a very simple, practical way, it means the resources, food, water, electricity, housing, health, healthcare, education, and so on. These are basic human rights. Unfortunately, not one country in the world 
can actually hold its hand up and say, yep, we provide all of those for our people. Uh, everywhere we find people who are either homeless or you know, losing their jobs and so on because they can't pay some medical bill, etc. All of these things, um, the masters and Maitreya see them as essential for, for setting to rights the way we relate to each other, because really we're talking about relationship, aren't we? We're talking about how we relate to each other and how we relate to ourselves as spiritual beings, and then how we relate to the planet and all other life forms on our planet. So we're talking about relationship in the sense of where do I place myself? Where are we? Where is our planet? What and, you know, the big questions we've asked throughout the centuries, the masters have the answers to these questions. And they will guide us as soon as humanity starts putting its house in order. And what do I mean by that? Well, we have to turn our backs on conflict and competition. One of the great problems that faces us at the moment, and we take it for granted, we think that that's the way it is and that there aren't any other opportunities for doing things differently. We take for granted that we live by and probably die by competition, commercialization. And it really is ruining the quality of life for millions of people throughout the world. And I'm talking about the Western world. I'm not talking about the people who are starving and who have very little and who are actually feeling the brunt of climate change, unfair trade policies, um, unfair required demands from the Western world that they repay loans and so on, which they can't do. But just let's go back to, let's say, the rich West. We're suffering. We're suffering from terrible climate change at the moment. And why is that? I think we really have to ask, why is that? According to the masters, and according to Benjamin Krem, and I need to tell need to answer your question about Benjamin Krem. According to Benjamin Krem, it is to do with again our relationship to ourselves, because we do not recognize or do not live fully the reality that we are souls in incarnation. We are spiritual beings, and we never live that as an everyday reality. We might pay lip service to it, or we might go to some. Uh, ashram or we might do some meditation and so on or we might go to church whatever it is or the temple but we very quickly re re revert to our everyday selves um we need so you're, to you're basically talking about uh humanity's interconnectedness absolutely and how it applies for example to the new aquarian energies as opposed to the old piscean energies exactly yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and just before I come to that, you asked me to say something about Benjamin Krem. He was the the person uh, um, who was um, he worked. He's he's um, a well um, well known in in the UK and also in the the states. And uh, he's a, a, a he was an author and a painter. And actually, if you see behind me, that's in fact one of his paintings. It's called Alignment, and we can talk about alignment because it is to do with being aligned as a spiritual being, being aligned with what's happening in the planet now. Those energies you've just talked about, the energies of Aquarius versus those of Pisces, the last age. And Benjamin Krem, as an artist, was also uh, someone who was a, a 
He uh, spoke throughout the world talking about his information that he was given by his master. He had a close telepathic contact rapport with his master, basically nonstop. And um, he was given this information and asked to make it known, which is what he did. People say, why Benjamin Krem, a Scotsman who lived in London, who was an artist, unknown, actually a, a nobody, not, a, not so, a figure on the world stage, not a, a well-known politician or a leader or something, precisely because he wasn't. It gave, he gave the information, but there's no pressure on anyone to believe it or not. You know, he's not the Pope who, if, if the Pope said this, I guess millions would believe him. Mm -hmm. If the Dalai Lama said it, millions would believe him. But Benjamin Krem was, in fact, simply himself and asked as, as a disciple of a master to give certain information to the world, which he did through his books, through his writings, um, through his lectures. Um, and he... He died in 2016, but he worked for over, well, it was more than 50 years doing this work, lecturing, writing, teaching, and he was the founding editor of Share International magazine. Um, and uh, I can give you, towards the end of the program, I can give you um, a website address where people can download some free books and also um, see if they'd like to buy some books from the uh, Share International uh, in the U.S. Uh, from their e-card. Uh, so can that was... They, the use, can they use that uh, to get to Share International? Certainly that link. And then there's also share-international.com. Uh, and that way you... Uh, that's Sorry, uh, share... Sorry, I'll start again. Share-e-card, as in a, 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 a cart, a, a dot com. And that is where they can buy Benjamin Krem's books. Otherwise, they can download free books from the uh, website you've just shown there. Sure. Uh, yeah. Now, talking about the energies, you, as we know from uh, our physicists, our um, scientists, um, from modern, modern science, and also from the ancient scriptures, we know that there's nothing but energy. And there's energy pouring into our planet and into, the, into our solar system all the time. And the way we respond to these energies changes and makes the new civilization. If people think back to the symbol of the fish, which is related to early Christianity, that is a symbol and it's related to Pisces, uh, Pisces the fish. And that was the inaugurated by the Master Jesus 2,000 years ago. And it was that energy um, which colored the last 2,000 years. What it meant is that um, you have, for example, yes, the really, if you think about Christianity and the quality of Christianity, which is that very beautiful, aspiring, self-sacrificing, uh, longing for change, and it's very idealistic. So um, I'm not saying that all Christians uh, and, no, and no one else um, have it. This is nothing to do with the religion in a sense. It's the, to do with the, the whole civilization. So you had the flowering of the idea of the importance of the individual developing himself as an individual, and you had the flowering of all of our arts and culture and so on. But along those lines, with that particular flavor or quality, of that energy, and um, it tends to be 
very focused, and you can see that in many of the religions that developed over the last 2000 years or more, very focused and quite dogmatic and quite determined um, to achieve the goals it sets and so on. And that is a particular energy. Now you see a change in that energy uh, and in a change in the way people are relate, beginning to relate to each other and to the planet. So instead of a sort of dogmatic idealism, you have a more practical um, idealism, which is, oh, I recognize that there's something going on with the climate. I better do something about it. I recognize that there are people suffering. I think I better do something about it. It is that taking the aspiration, but making it, grounding it, making it factual, making it practical. And that is part of the new, it's a quality that is relating to Aquarian, the Aquarian energy. The main, one of the main uh, qualities of that energy is the energy of, or the tendency towards synthesis, so you'll see people, instead of being individualistic and doing things on their own and um, uh, for, you know, following their own path very dogmatically, now you see people working far more in groups, coming together, looking for unity of purpose, unity of aspiration, and trying to put those into effect very practically to change our world, as we must do since we're confronted by so many crises. Um, I've touched on, so you, you, let me just say something more about Aquarius. Aquarius brings people together because at heart, all of us have a longing for unity. We have a longing for unity with others. I mean, that's why we join clubs. That's why we, etc. And it's not just um, avoiding loneliness. It's, that's nothing to do with it. It's really to do with wanting to because you can put loneliness to great effect because you've thought you've meditated etc you're in touch with your soul you're aligned as the the painting behind me indicates symbolically um but working together working together as humanity and seeing the that is what's really important in the coming time is the sense of the power of the people, the, the common sense and the decency of common people coming together, working together for particular aims to achieve certain things. And that works wonders at every level. Uh, particularly, people should be thinking about working at a local level and making their voices heard, asking for justice, demanding for fa uh, fair play demanding a fair share for other people, seeing where they can help and make changes. Now, that is the Aquarian way forward. It, and you will see more and more people working in groups. And it is no wonder that the it is the youth, because they're the next generation who have come in into incarnation, equipped for this time. And they respond very well to that new energy of Aquarius. And you see them working together in huge groups, I don't know if you remember the Occupy movement. And so many older statesmen and older people said, yeah, but we can't understand them. They don't have a leader. Who do we talk to? They don't, and so on. And it was a puzzle to a lot of older people. But that is pe precisely because the younger people saw themselves as all having an equal voice and all able to put something in to the mix. To make it, um, and this is what, uh, and by the way, there's um, some very interesting things that Benjamin Krem and his master have said about the need to recognize 
diversity in unity. So you have unity, but recognize the diversity of every, everyone and their ability to bring in. So the Aquarian energies are those energies which will move us forward away from the old separative uh, dogmatic way of looking things into a far more um, accepting of each other and at the same time seeing the power of working together. And it is cooperation rather than competition. Right. It's working together rather than trying to elbow each other out of the way to make another another million. I know this is a little bit different about what we've been discussing, but you had a very interesting point. There are two out, two of them that I want to refer to. The first one was, what is Earth's place in the solar system? And the second one was, let's talk a little bit about our space brothers and their presence. And finally, uh, you said, how do UFOs appear and disappear spontaneously? And I thought that was an interesting lead-in. So mm. let's see if we can cover those. Uh, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, we, we mentioned just before, very briefly, I think we sort of just uh, touched it as we went past. We were saying that everything is interconnected and that, in fact, everything is one. And um, I, I, don't, I think that people are beginning to sense that intuitively, empirically. Um, and I think people, you know, in the States just recently, there's been a big hearing about... Um, are space, are the uh, UFOs real? Uh, what do pilots know? What have governments been hiding? Uh, what do we know about it? So that a lot is coming out right now. And um, this is really to do with our interconnectedness. And I'd like to explain how. There is nothing in the whole of everything that you can imagine, cosmos, that is not conscious at some level or not, uh, or another. And everything is energy vibrating at some level or another. And the scientists, our scientists now, have for a long time known that there's something they call dark matter. It, they know it's there. They're not quite sure what it is. They try various experiments. CERN has given a lot of time and money to try. Uh, and many scientists are sp spend um, <laughs> decades trying to discover and work on mathematical formulae, et cetera, et cetera, try and prove the what they believe is something like 90% of um, matter, but it's dark matter, and they don't quite understand how it fits in with matter. Now, if you ask um, the esoteric teachings, the ageless wisdom teachings and the masters, they will explain this is what is known as, um, this is just a word, let's see if, if, it, if it helps people understand it, this is what's called the etheric um, and everything, every single thing that you see and every single uh, object you see is created on a, let's say, a, a framework, a shimmering live framework of energy. Now, that energy substands the physical and ex extends somewhat from it. And everything is made of this energy pulsating at different levels. Now, um, I know it's contentious, and I know that people will think, oh, she's a crackpot. However, let's say, let's take this as a hypothesis. If the etheric energies exist at a different levels, becoming finer and finer and finer, so you have this physical, and it's a little 
finer and finer and finer. So you get a really fine level of energy, which is invisible to our eyes or to most people's eyes. Some people and many young people are beginning to see it because they can see a sort of a movement in, 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 in the air. Um, I'm sure that you might, and many of your, your audience people might be able to see it themselves. You see a movement in the air and so on, and this is the one of the first layers of that etheric energy. Now take it as a hypothesis, supposing that life can exist like that in that form on other planets. This apparently, according to Benjamin Krem and his master and, and other masters, this is exactly what the case is. Not only are the other planets inhabited, but they're inhabited by civilizations in the etheric. So we can't see them when we go there. They can see each other. They have a perfectly normal life as we have. Um, when we talk about consciousness on other planets, we don't necessarily mean that they look like us, but they have consciousness in the sense that they're also divine, divine beings. And they also have their purpose on their planet and they're working out their lives and the aims of their planet. Similarly, we on our planet should be working together with our planet and the consciousness, which is our planet. Our planet is a life. It is a consciousness. It has its own plans. It has its own ideas. We can also talk about the God force or source or divine. I'm going to be simple and just say, energy or God, however you want to see it. But this isn't a religion, but it's a, a struggle. Every All of us are trying to find a way of expressing that which we sense. I think it was St. Paul, the great disciple, who talked about that in which we live and move and have our being. And that is this great life that we're part of. We are not separate. We're not separate from each other. We're not separate from this life. We are, and more and more people realize, we're interconnected with every single thing on our planet and beyond in our solar system. The law of cause and effect, or karma, as it's called in the East, is an ancient and basically understood law. Jesus talked about it, Buddha talked about it, and many other great uh, uh, wise people have talked about this idea of whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you whatever you admit to do, has an effect. It has an impact somewhere else. Um, modern science, uh, quantum physics, etc., talks about the butterfly effect and many other such terms, which means somehow that what happens here will have its effect there. Everything is interconnected. And that interconnectedness is the basis of a lot of things that we have to do on our planet, but it also is the basis for our relationship to other planets. We have our part to play as one of the bodies that make up the solar system. And what we do on our planet affects other planets. And what other planets, there are people on other planets, particularly Mars and Venus. I know people will say, oh, she's lost it. I'm telling you what I know from the esoteric teachings and from Benjamin Krem. I can't prove it, but many people have seen UFOs. Uh, and uh, they have seen the people, uh, the pilots of those those craft. And how do they appear and disappear is, was a question we, you asked. It is because they are made of etheric matter. And that matter vibrates at a much higher level than our level that we're at here. 
what happens is that when they want us to see them, and that happens all the time, they consciously, deliberately bring down the rate of vibration, and we can see them. Just suddenly there, they're there, and they move and so on and do all sorts of interesting, make interesting patterns and so on in, in, the, in our night skies, sometimes during the day, and then they're gone. How come? They simply raise the vibration if they do not want to be detected at that moment, and they're, they're uh, invisible. I must scotch one terrible rumor that has been spread by many of the governments since the 1940s deliberately, and that is there is a story that the space people, the space brothers as we call them, are here um, to do harm. That is absolutely categorically not the case. They are here on a mission to help us. And without their help, we would be in even worse dire straits than we are now. One of their great missions is to try to absorb and clean up as much of the nuclear radiation that we pump out into our, and other pollution that we pump out into our atmosphere all the time. It is important that that happens now how do how would that be you know how how would you know this well if you look at the, a number of photographs that have been taken over nuclear installations or above you uh, above volcanoes just before they're about to erupt those are the space brothers sending their what they have is um several kinds of craft because they're highly evolved civilizations, by the way, if they can make it, if they can do, if they have that technology at their fingertips, they're not here to harm us. They come and they, they're here to, to help mop up that, that um, nuclear energy and, and pollution and so on. And they, um, what they do is um, absorb as much of that as possible. And frequently they are seen above nuclear installations uh, volcanoes uh, and so on. And recently, um, it has been um, the, actually the focus of a meeting, uh, a fairly high-level meeting in the states with government officials and so on, uh, pilots who have proof. And there are U U.S. Uh, pe people who were in officials who were in in perhaps government or in military and so on who have now come forward to say, we know that there is material or there is evidence or there are photographs which are incontrovertibly from another planet. They are not from our planet. They're extraplanetary. And most of the UFOs that we see come from either Mars or, um, yes, Mars, usually they're often made in Mars, but um, Mars, Jupiter, and so on, so in our solar system. And we are a fraternity of consciousness in our solar system. We belong to each other. We're part of each other. And what we do on our planet has a deleterious effect on other planets and on the balance in our solar system. And in just as we are affecting the weather and why we're having such terrible weather is no act of God. It's an act of man, mainly. Right. Yes, there are natural disasters, but actually we're causing them. We're causing them, and I talked about, I mentioned just briefly the idea of cause and effect or the law of karma. Our tension, 
our hatred, our anger, our violence has its effect. And whether it's on a personal level and we're affecting other people around us or the plants or the animals and so on, we're beginning to know that that is the case and being able to sort of prove it now scientifically. But we're also having a global effect on our weather systems. And it is through the anger, the tension, the worry, the resentment, the anxiety that people are suffering. People are suffering from fear, most appalling fear. Uh, to do with the possibility of a, a, a war breaking out somewhere, to do with the hunger in some parts of the world and injustice. Um, people are suffering terribly, even in a rich country like the States. And what is, I think it's important for your listeners to know that the United States, just like all countries, has a soul and a personality. You know the way we all have a sort of internal dialogue with ourselves. You, you say to yourself, well, I'll, I'll do that. But who's the I? Who's the we? What, what is the? It is because we instinctively, intuitively know we're a soul in incarnation. We are spiritual beings and we inhabit for this lifetime, this particular garb, this particular, I, I put it on for, for this, this, this person who's going to be Felicity for this life. But in my next life, I'll be someone else. And, and in my past lives, I also have been someone else. But the soul continues. The soul continues and is eternal. It goes on and on. It develops life after life because life is a school. We are living in a school where we carry out. Um, most lives have something like three or four uh, particular purposes, aims that you we want to carry out in each life. And that we decide beforehand. We choose beforehand where we want to be born. We choose our parents. <laughs> it's interesting perhaps to tell uh, teenagers, well, you chose me, you chose us when they're complaining. But we choose where we want to be born. We choose our parents. We choose our circumstances. We choose our genetic weaknesses. We choose what we're going to live with, what challenges we're going to have. I don't mean to say there's no free will because there's a huge huge area of free will. That's what we're here for. And that is why, because I know that people will say, why isn't Maitreya coming out and helping us now? Because there is this, this law, inviolable law of free will. They may not, the masters may not, and the space brothers may not infringe that free will. So we're allowed to go on and make our messes, up to a certain point, of course, we're not allowed to destroy our planet entirely, and we certainly are not allowed to, uh, would not be permitted to, uh, yes, launch a, a nuclear war, because that would be the end of everyone uh, and all on our planet. And that is one you of the were, great fears. You have, um, I don't mean, I don't mean to interrupt. There's so much I want to talk about. Um, what is transmission meditation? Uh, why ah. do people do it and what is it for? Yeah, we're so lucky. We're so fortunate. Benjamin Krem worked so closely with his master so that he could give information um, moment to moment whenever he, he was asked. And one of the great 
gift that his master gave to the world through Benjamin Krem was a type of transmission, a type of meditation, which we call transmission meditation. And that meditation is suited particularly to the new time with this new energy of Aquarius, again, groups. It is a, a group meditation. It's a very simple form of meditation. You don't have to do any amazing sutras or sit in any particular position or, or, and that sort of thing. You don't have to do any particular type of breathing. It's a simple meditation where you hold your attention on the Ajna center in the middle of your forehead. Um, you sound the Om and you maintain an alignment as is behind me at the moment. And you... Um, maintain the alignment between soul and mind, soul and brain, and um, the masters work with the groups who are doing transmission meditation. Now, what kind of, why is it different from other meditations? One very particular fact, it is a form of service. What do I mean by that? The masters make use of people who sit in groups, a uh, group of three, you know, the, the saying from the Bible where there are three gathered in my name, two or three gathered in my name, there am I also. the So there's a basic triangle often to form a transmission meditation group. The people in the groups put themselves at the service of the masters mm -hmm. and the energies are placed through them, through the higher chakras, and then those are sent out into the world by the masters, not by the people in the group, uh, because the masters know where they're required and in what potency and so on. And those energies are sent out into the world to help wherever needed. And they make the changes, either in changes of ideas or perhaps unknotting a particular uh, difficult situation in the world and so on and so on, in all sorts of ways that I wouldn't even begin to know about or be able to, to tell you. But I can tell you that transmission meditation is an extraordinary uh, privilege to be able to do it. It's very simple. And if people are looking for a way of serving and they believe that being in touch with their souls and in touch with the masters and so on, and you could try it as an experiment. There are transmission groups throughout the United States and throughout the world. Um, ask Share International uh, USA, uh, share-international.usa, and ask them for a list of their events or their transmission groups and join that. It is a way of serving humanity, and it's selfless. It's got nothing to do with you, etc., etc. You're simply there as a, it's like a, being a transformer. You're transforming the energy down so it's more available throughout the world, and it's up to the masters where they send it. Um, so that's what transmission meditation is, and it was given to the world by Benjamin Krem and his master. And it's a simple way of being in touch with your own soul. Um, and serving. And you can do it next to your own type of meditation anyway. If you have a personal meditation, by all means do that. It won't interfere. And uh, it's open to everybody. It's free of charge, of course. And um, it's open to everyone. If you have, I would say, just one little proviso, if you are slightly, um, let's say, unstable or you've been through a, a rough time, let's say, psychologically, psychically, and so on, uh, I would say leave it and come back to perhaps the idea in a few years' time or a year's time. And also, if you have heart problems, it, the energies might just be a little bit too much at times. But for the rest, it's open to absolutely everybody, free of charge. Do it. It's a way to serve the world. And it 
I believe, um, it certainly changes one. It helps one. It it helps one grow uh, because you're in touch with your soul and you're in touch with these energies, and you can't help but grow. But the the best bit is, of course, that not doing very much, uh, you're you're still helping the world if you believe it and if you aspire to helping and serving. Then this is an easy way to do it. So it's it's great, and um, you can start by using um, the man, mantram, which is given through Alice Bailey, and uh, you can find it in the Lucis Trust books, which is called the uh, uh, the uh, Great Invocation. That's one one prayer, or you could simply do it by aligning yourself and ask and saying that you're available for service with some other people. That was very interesting. I'm glad I asked that question. Feel the energies, you know. The for many people, the energies are absolutely feelable, palpable, you know. Mm. So, um, and other people do it and don't feel a thing, but they might hear something. They might hear music or particular tones. Um, mm. I personally feel the energies, but other people experience it in different ways. And it doesn't mean to say you're not transmitting the the energies if you don't feel anything. That each person is different. We're almost out of time, but what I'd like to do is, are there is there anything that you would like to leave the, the listeners and the people who have been watching the program with something that you feel is important to wrap this up with? Yeah, two things, if I may. One, I would say, if you can take this as a hypothesis and just think about it, is it possible that there is such a thing as a benevolent, benign, that this is benevolent, benign, loving thing that we are. This planet, this solar system, this cosmos, this, this consciousness, that this is a loving, benign being, and it's working its purposes out, and we're part of that purpose. And the way to be happiest in yourself is to, uh, to find a way to live within that, live within being yourself. And being yourself, I mean, finding what gives you the greatest joy, uh, links you most clearly with your soul, how you, that gives you a sense of an inner purpose. Um, that is very important. And that combine that with a sense of hope for the world, that by working with others, by, by, by uh, tuning into your highest self, by working with others, you will find a way to make change in your environment. And even if it's at a local level, you'll find a way. If you're aspiring and if you're wanting to help, the masters will always take a hundred steps towards you. You take one step towards them. Take a step towards your soul. Work to your highest, live to your highest aspiration. Ask for help and guidance. You'll get it. And the world is at the best possible time. This is an awful time to be alive, but it's the best time to be alive because so much is changing, so much is happening, and we have it within our power to change absolutely everything. We live with injustice, we can change it to justice. We live with unfairness, we can make it a world that's where everyone can flourish. And that is the, the message of the masters. That's why they're here. That's why Maitreya is here. That's why Benjamin Krem and all the people who work with him, like me and many others, work and talk about it because we believe it gives hope and we hope to inspire and empower people to take action, to do what is necessary. Share International Magazine is full of stories and information and ideas and articles which 
might inspire people to take action along these lines. Well, this was a, a great interview. I really appreciate it, Felicity. I, I, I'm glad that you Thank were you. able to, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you were able to make the, uh, the uh, time to be here with us. Um, what I would love to say is, you know, I hope you can come back and join us again sometime soon. Quicker Thank than you. before. <laughs> I don't, like I, like you said, I was shocked when I saw it was October of 22. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's make it, let's make it uh, nearer than that. Thank you for watching and listening to the Timeless Voyager podcast series on video players like YouTube and audio players like Spotify and so many more. One thing you can do to support the growth of the Timeless Voyager podcast is to hit that like button share, and please subscribe. It really helps to keep the podcast on the internet so that I can keep producing content like the program you just watched. You know, subscribing, liking, and sharing are free, and there's no obligation. But those important actions on your part are greatly appreciated. My name is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.
Bendis.